Welcome back to another Meathead Hippie podcast, and today we're going straight Meathead. If you have been listening and you're a, a total hippie and you're liking it, I love you for it, and I, of course, think there's a need for it, but uh, it's named Meathead Hippie for a reason, and I just wanted to talk about getting strong and jacked and feeling sexy in these short sleeve shirts coming up for summer. And so I brought my coach, George Bristow, um, really fast. This is a podcast that goes out every Wednesday. If you guys leave a review, it is so helpful to help get out to more meatheads and more hippies, preferably a combo of both. Uh, so please leave a review and share with a friend if you like what you're hearing Send us things if you want more topics or if you have guests that you would love to be interviewed. We are always open to that. And I'm always accessible on support at emilyshram.com. And for all my programs and things that kind of help you direct to where to go, I just did a Q&A in the Facebook group and on my Instagram. And it's, you know, we're all kind of all over the place with what we want and what our goals are, which is good because that means we are all individual as we should be, but it means it's hard to find the right things. So if you are not sure where to go when it comes to nutrition, fitness, exercise, go check out my highlighted stories on Instagram or that recent post in my private Facebook group, which is linked below. And it can give you some great tips into figuring out the right thing for you, especially in spring summer mode. I see so many bullshit detoxes and calorie restricting diets and I just don't want you to do it again. So jump into that and we will uh, help you as much as we can with the programs we have. Okay, George, I'm going to read your bio right in front of you. Right. George Bristow is a strength and conditioning coach specializing in athletic performance, powerlifting, and return from injury. He jump-started his coaching career in the sports performance department at Purdue University, training football athletes. Since Purdue, George has coached various levels of athletics, spanning from high school through professional sports within universities, academies, and gyms. Currently staffed as a professional strength and conditioning coach for the Major League Rugby team, the Glendale Raptors, George strives for optimal performance, health, and wellness for his athletes and clients. George, what did we talk about? So many good things. Yeah, rabbit <laughs> holes again. <laughs> yep, lots of we, rabbit holes. So we, we started talking about pre-puberty, post-puberty training for young athletes mm -hmm. um, and how those can vary widely and how uh, you could uh, just box yourself into one way of thinking no matter the age of the client. Mm -hmm. You really need to take that into uh, consideration. Mm -hmm. Then we jumped into high school athletes and ways that the high school, uh, high school training or high school strength conditioning weight room can make a big difference for the future of those athletes. I love and what we talked about with your athletes of when to know that they may be overtraining. Yeah. That, that was a great. That's one big consideration because it's not, you know, it's not the same as it'll be for you because you're an adult, mm -hmm. you know? So um, then we went from there and talked about the clients we see, um, 40, 40 hour weekers uh, yeah. sitting at a desk and how that needs to be the primary focus in any training program is uh, offsetting that position and the effects it has on the body before you go trying to get strong or, or fit or healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to address the hips and the back. Mm-hmm. We all want to get strong, but it's so hard with the time we have, right? So learning about posterior chain, you define that, making sure we know what that is. And there's a video that we'll talk about that's linked below for you guys to see it in detail with George and I live in the gym. 
Um, and then we just went on tangents about the foot because we both have some foot issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, George has some knee issues. I have some hamstring issues. And we, we just think, I think the feet, that's been something you've been really helpful with for me is understanding that kinetic chain in those synergist synergistic muscles for sure. And then last but not least. Oh, yeah. We talked about foot of the sleeve. <laughs> you know, how to get jacked, you know. <laughs> And look jacked. Sometimes you don't even look jacked if you are, if you're, if you got little arms and that stinks, but it's fun. It's, it's fun to so have something fun. to flex. Totally. I have such long bones. Mm -hmm. Like my arms are so long. And so I always was like, I'm never going <laughs> to look as jacked as I want, but that's not true. Yep. I can make it happen. I, at Purdue, I always called them touchdown muscles. <laughs> when we were, did any sort of bicep work, I'd be like, look, I care about you guys. When you score a touchdown, I want you to have something to flex. So here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Meathead hippie listeners, I am very excited about this episode because I have, I have my own coach, George Bristow. We're sitting on the patio, the balcony, the rooftop of our gym, and he's um, the perfect one to interview for what I want to talk about because I think we've had, with Meathead Hippie, we've been a little skewed towards the hippie. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be a good change of pace then. <laughs> yeah, it's a needed pace, and I, you know, there's a reason it's both are in the title. It's like we love bicep curls, but we also love the the work that we do internally and I just was like you know it's time to have a meathead on and to really talk about getting strong and uh, ways that we don't think about strength and moves and just opening up the audience to a different type of interview so you're just perfect for this because we met so uh, when we were first opening up the gym we were looking for the best trainers and George just kind of fell into our lap, I feel like. <laughs> so we got really lucky having George as a trainer here. He's a coach and a trainer, um, strength and conditioning specialist. Let's just start by talking a little bit about your background in strength and conditioning. And really what, do, like, did you have a moment where outside of, maybe it was sports, but growing up where you were like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by getting strong. Yeah. Um, I actually was the kid in high school weights class that would like, skip all the exercises or you know just not really try um which is kind of funny because I was playing rugby you know since I was in middle school and uh and I, and I really didn't make the connection you know even you know through high school I had a really bad hamstring injury um and some shoulder dislocations I still I you know didn't make the connection between being strong being healthy and being athletic and uh, it wasn't until college College, I started to get into, like, you know, bicep curls and bench days. You know, <laughs> Monday's our bench day. I realized at one point that I was skipping class. I was mechanics, mechanical engineering and physics double major. I realized I was skipping class to go work out. <laughs> and I was crushing myself with my work, with my schoolwork, my workload anyway. And I was start, it was starting to fall apart. And I was like, took a step back. I was like, what do I want to do? I was like, well, what am I? sacrificing to do what I want to do, you know, so I'm sacrificing school work to work out. Why don't I combine them? So I was like, okay, then I'll just go into exercise science. Um, and I still had no clue. I was still just benching on Mondays, Tuesdays, <laughs> Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. <laughs> so I had no clue. Uh, but I remember 
uh, my hamstring was still junior year even of college. My hamstring was still really messing with me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to look into this. And I found, I don't know, I think it might have been like the hatch squat. Like it hurt real bad to do any squats or deadlifts. But I kind of started really, really light and started from there. And I did like a 16-week squat cycle and had no pain. And I went from, you know, kind of just a middle-of-the-road rugby player on my D2 college rugby team to uh, captain, MVP multiple times. And, and, and all of a sudden, I just, like, took off. Nobody could catch up with me on the, on the team. And it was like, wow, I'm if arguably I weigh, I weigh 20 pounds more at this point. I've been working harder on my lower body. And uh, I should be slower and, and more sluggish because I was light and quick before, but I never had that power output. And so that's what kind of opened up my mind, my, my eyes to, oh, wow, strength can be more than just, you know, being a big muscular guy and trying to impress the ladies. And immobile, right? Like, yeah. We always equate strength to like, well, if you're strong, you also must move slowly. Like, yeah. you can't jump as high. You can't be as quick. Right. Of course. And, uh, and then by the time, by this time, I was like getting into my, getting into my major courses. We got a new uh, director of the program and a new um, assistant professor. And both those guys were big strength and conditioning guys rather than at the, at the time, up until then, all my major courses were for general population. Like, what happens if you have a 60-year-old with double knee replacement, all this and that? And they started relating everything to sports and athletes and uh, baseball players, volleyball players, you know, a collegiate or 16-year-old or a professional. And I started thinking about all these different ways I can do what I love and I'm still playing sports so um, it's still a big passion of mine as well so I can combine sports and what I love to love to do working out and so by my senior year um, that's when I was decided okay I want to go into strength conditioning or I say senior year but my fourth year I did, yeah took me five years so uh, five and a half actually <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I made it. You made <laughs> um, it. <laughs> but uh, so by the, by the end of my fourth year, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, so I decided to stay on campus with one of those professors, actually the director of the department, and we did research on hockey players, um, minor league hockey players. And that was the – it was like agility research, but we looked at all different things that affect agility on a skate, power output, um, balance, stabilization, flexibility, technique, everything. Um, and it was awesome. I spent three months doing that with him and a couple other students, and I was hooked. So I immediately, after that, decided to look for internships. And then that's when I found Purdue. When I, I went to Purdue for the fall semester, um, ended up transferring to finish out my schoolwork there because I, I wanted to stay for the, the second semester. Um, to, con to basically do another internship because they only do one semester internships. But I was like, you know, I have more to learn here. So I transferred and finished up my school out at Purdue. I uh, did another, a second semester at Purdue for the internship to learn uh, as much as I could. And then after that, for the summer, uh, unfortunately, there was a void uh, in, the, as a, in one of the strength coach roles. And I decided, uh, hey, I want that role, you know, like, I haven't even, I know I need a master's for this role, <laughs> and I don't even have a bachelor's. They're like, well, we can't, so I 
can't hire you even if a bachelor's is required um, degree. So I decided to take summer classes and, and get through that, and I stayed on and uh, um, as a quote unquote assistant strength and conditioning coach, and uh, and then they did end up taking someone else, but that opened the opportunity for me to go down and work with younger kids. I went down after that. I was a strength conditioning coach who went down to Florida for a basketball academy. I did that for a year, um, and that was incredibly powerful because I'd worked with high school athletes a little bit, um, uh, just kind of here and there, like my on, on the side. And then I obviously worked with D1 college athletes at Purdue. Um, sorry, that was with the football program. I didn't mention that. Um, but uh, but now I'm working with basketball, something totally foreign mm -hmm. to football. Uh, they are their own breed. They're tall, lanky, and uh, it's very rare you get a coordinated one at that size, you know. Yeah. So it's actually what age it, group? Uh, oh yeah, so they're like 16 to 19. Mm. So at that point, I'm like bridging the gap. Like I'm taking these kids who a lot of my kids were post grads, so they had just graduated high school, 17 or 18, maybe even 19 years old, and they want to go play in college. A lot of them are taking a year off at the academy to train. Um, play basketball and also and I, I would also get them stronger and um, ready to play at a higher level and it was very interesting it's kind of rare because a lot of people don't take time off mm -hmm. um, uh, but it was it was very interesting being that bridging that gap because these kids have already been in the weight room but a lot of them had not been in a good weight room high school strength conditioning is not very lucrative therefore it's not you know very uh, you know, proficient, as proficient as collegiate as strength conditioning coaches. Right. Let's start there, actually. That would be good. I would love to go through uh, kind of middle school, high school, specifically for athletes or just in general, mm -hmm. and then general population strength training, and then, you know, s sports performance, right. like very sp sports specific. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, uh, there's mixed, mixed studies and controversy about when to start somebody as a kid on strength training. So I'd love to just maybe start there. Yeah. Regardless of sports or not, what do you kind of think of the overall getting somebody at a young age starting to lift weights? Yeah. First of all, there is a lot of research done on it. But in this field, it's very odd. The research is very odd. Something has to be, you know, a thing for a long time for it to get researched, right? Mm -hmm. It's got a... Some guy's probably got to do it in his own gym, not say anything about it, probably for five years, you know, and then someone catches on, and it takes a while for that to catch on, and then all of a sudden you find yourself 10, 15 years later researching things that people have been doing for a long, long time. Um, so th I do think it's good to know the research, know what's out there. But I've done a ton of research and literally only published the stuff I did with hockey players, mm. you know. But I've done a lot of research that I haven't published. You know why? Because I work with clients. I work with uh, athletes. And every time you give someone, that's research. And the conclusion is what results you get from it. Sometimes it is conclusive and sometimes it's inconclusive. And that's how you go on learning from your own research. Um, so with kids, there's a lot of research on it. Um, and my philosophy is... A, you don't know you're doing too little until you've, sorry, you don't know you're not doing too much until you've done too little. Mm. It's gonna, it's not gonna take much at all to get a kid 1% better. And that's all that matters because you can always get 1% better. 
you can be very consistent getting 1% better. Um, it has a lot more longevity. You don't want to burn a kid out physically, emotionally. Um, we've both known athletes that reached the college level and were like, I think I just want to have fun in college. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> but we're like, no, you could. You could have been so great. <laughs> you could have been so good. <laughs> but they've burned themselves out. So, um, one, don't do too much. Get results, but but don't do too much. Two, make it fun. If it's not fun, then they're going to get burned out emotionally. Um, and then on the physiological side of things, if the kid is prepubescent, he's not going to gain muscle cell size. He doesn't have those hormones to get hypertrophy. So don't be doing hypertrophy work with the kid. Do neurological strengthening work. There's two ways you can get stronger prepuberty. Neuromuscular, you can increase the speed and frequency of a, uh, a neural chain. So sp speed and frequency of uh, neural impulses to a muscle, mm -hmm. uh, that increases strength. And hyperplasia, which is increasing the number of muscle cells in a muscle, mm -hmm. which uh, the only way you can do that post-puberty is HGH, and the research on that is even kind of iffy if it actually does that. Mm -hmm. um, so Knowing those things will direct the way you train the kid. So I'm not, you're not going to have kids doing bicep curls. So, which is an example of hypertrophy. Hypertrophy, Give yes. Give an example of training the neurons, right? It would be those drills, uh, touch, touch, walk, run backwards, sprint sideways, mm -hmm. yeah. catching a ball on one foot, yep. those types you're of drills. You're creating motor pathways mm. um, and, and muscle memory. It's not really a scientific term, but we all know what that means, muscle memory. You do something enough times, you're gonna you're gonna create those motor mm -hmm. pathways. We've all seen the gymnast that's six years old that does stuff that, you know, you could never imagine putting your body as an adult through, right? Yeah. And she does does it flawlessly. It's not because she's gained muscle size or even number of muscle fibers. She does that because she's increased her motor pathways and trained those motor pathways to uh, contract. Those muscles to contract in that coordinated movement. Yeah, at a young age. So, and you can go a long way with that. Actually, a lot of training for adults kind of moves away from that, which it can be very powerful. Um, a lot of those we know is like activation exercise and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but with kids, yeah, stuff like things that are really challenge their balance or challenge their movement or um, even things that just kind of uh, challenge their strain a little bit, like sled pulls. That's, that's on, if you put a kid, a kid on a moderate sled, I would never put a kid under anything heavy just because their bones aren't as dense as ours. Um, neither are their ligaments and tendons. But uh, I would put a kid on a moderate sled and see how uncoordinated he is if he's never been on one. Do that once a week for three weeks and see how he looks. Oh, my gosh, he's staying straight. He's doing twice the amount of weight. Well, he didn't gain any muscle size. How's he doing that? Neural pathways. So uh, when I train children, especially pu prepubescent children, I, I focus on those neural pathways. What's interesting is the part two that you said of, you know, HGH potentially can mm -hmm. change the actual fiber. Yeah. 
There is a study that just came out about how once you're on steroids, even off of steroids, you mm-hmm. know, you got through your whole two-year, three-year probation period. Right. You're back on it. You're not on steroids, but you're back on your sport. That still can give you the edge, which yeah. I thought was really fascinating. Actually, Cyborg, Chris Cyborg in the UFC, that was a big controversy about her because she was in, oh, I, don't quote me, but Bellator or Pride, I think, and she was... She tested positive for steroids, and um, and there's a big controversy with her because she comes into the UFC and was flowing through people, you know, like they didn't even exist, and it, that was a big controversy. Like, yeah, there's prolonged effects, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she still has those. Yeah. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Maybe wow. steroid. I know that's a it's big. It's polarizing. It is. It's internally polarizing, even. You know, because I think that uh, if someone's going to shape up and do it the right way, uh, you know, they deserve a second chance. But at the same time, the research says <laughs> that can have a lasting effect. So uh, it's like, yeah, you messed up, but you kind of messed up forever. Mm. And do you punish someone forever? I don't I, think so. I don't think so either. I don't but think I also so either, but I think there should be um, – Maybe there could be testing protocols just to see how she's progressing, uh, you know, in cer- certain different ways. Me as a strength and conditioning coach, um, if someone said to me, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to check this uh, Chris Cyborg out and see if she has any lasting effects from the steroids? Uh, I would go back to her previous strength and conditioning coaches. Any numbers they could give me, I would ask for. Mm. Hopefully they'd give them to me. And then I would... I would go through those same tests with her. Um, if there weren't, I would spend probably a year with her and just see how things are progressing. If she, if I put her under something, a, a strong, uh, tough training regimen, and she just recovers like crazy from it, it's gonna perk my eye, but there's gonna, there's gonna, um, sorry, pique my interest, but there's gonna be no way to know. But that's the biggest part about steroids, is recovery. Mm. If you uh, we use a lot oh. of West Side stuff, mm-hmm. and that stuff is dy- designed for people who can recover like crazy. Um, and we uh, we alter that for people who don't recover as well. Yeah, <laughs> which is, you know, dependent on how focused, like, is training your full-time job? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are there variables like stress and yeah. life and family that tie mm-hmm. into your recovery? Do you right. sleep that's in a big nutrition. thing. If training is your full-time job, then so is recovery, uh, and that's so powerful. I was just talking to um, he's been on my. Do you know Born Fitness, Adam Bornstein? Yeah, he's on my podcast, mm-hmm. and he just did a full session with Arnold Schwarzenegger, a full training <laughs> session, and he was telling me about yeah. it because he was like, the one thing that they don't talk about with Arnold, and Arnold mm-hmm. was saying this, is how much time he spent recovering every waking yeah. minute of mm-hmm. his. You know, obviously his workouts originally were three to four hours. Yeah. But every other second had to be dedicated towards chugging those eggs and right. <laughs> yeah. getting the sleep. All the food and all the sleep. All the food and possible. all the sleep. And it's so true. Like, that's the thing that I notice the most. And this goes into my adrenals and cortisol. And kind of with some of those clients that have those headaches after they work out, mm-hmm. it's like you don't really know a client's cortisol levels when they walk in the door. You, right. you just kind of know, okay, you look tired. and But what stress is causing you to not even activate muscles? And then, of mm-hmm. course be able to recover to do it again right so with so po- so going back to kids mm-hmm. um we go back so post puberty 
post-puberty, 13, 14, 15, mm -hmm. we can start adding hypertrophy. Yep. And that's and that's a moderation, you know, because their 14-year-old's uh, hormone levels aren't the same as 18-year-old's. Uh, mm. uh, you can just see that you put you don't put any weight on a kid and let him just grow for four years from 14 to 18, and he doubles in size, you know. It's just... Yeah, so it's still different, but now we can start to in, start to introduce strain. Um, strain is where you're going to get hypertrophy. Just in case, what is hypertrophy? Hypertrophy is increasing muscle cell size, um, so increasing cross-sectional area of the muscle. If you have, if you look at maybe your quad muscle, and you cut it in half, and you take one end. You flip it up and look down the middle of it like you're looking through a bunch of straws or holding a bunch of straws and you're looking through them. That would be the cross-sectional. The diameter of that is the cross-sectional size of the muscle. Increasing that cross-sectional size, so increasing like the girth of that muscle, is hypertrophy. What I want for my biceps. Yep. <laughs> we all want that. Wait, right. <laughs> so, and that's actually a tangent of, well, actually I'll come back to that, about like certain muscles that take longer to actually build size right. than others. Um, feet for girls and boys, do you notice much of a difference at their at that age with the hormone levels being like lower testosterone for boys until probably 17, 18? Have you noticed much of a difference between the two? Um, I would say I don't actually notice much of a difference in their ability to gain the results. The results seem to come at the same rate, mm. but the girls will still are working with a smaller frame less bone density, uh, less number of muscle fibers, and a different composition of muscle fibers as far as um, muscle fiber types. Yeah. Um, so girls are, um, they do many things better. Actually, a lot of the coordination stuff, uh, it seems like they start from a higher, boys just, and that might even just be like a person, <laughs> a character type thing. Like they're just wild, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> wild young boys. But, uh, Girls are <laughs> very attentive, um, and this is most ages that I work with. Uh, females are very attentive, um, and so they they take cues well. Mm -hmm. They're coachable, they, <laughs> more coachable. Much coachable, <laughs> yeah, more coachable. Um, and they do seem to be a little more coordinated, I think, just less wild. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they do start out weaker but they're on a smaller frame too yeah um but they seem the results seem to come at the same rate which is kind of funny because uh it seems like boys when they hit puberty they just get this natural strength that just comes to them and girls still have to work for it mm, yeah and w i mean we fight for it till the day we die <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and it's like uh, you, we all know that 280 pound kids six seven and 17 years old and you're like Wow, you didn't work for that. You just got it, huh? He's just strong. <laughs> so when it comes to athletic programs or somebody that's training a sports-specific program, outside of, like, don't overdo it, keep it as fun as possible, make sure that they really enjoy it and yeah. diversify, right, so mm -hmm. we don't get those repetitive sports right. injuries. Challenge their movement. Mm. Um, you know, make that movement specific to their sport or specific to everyday life tasks or just lunging, squatting, running, running in all different directions. Every, anything they might have to do on a field or in life, uh, get them good moving that way, because you can do it. It's 
it's not quite all there. You know, you, most people we train, we train in their 20s or later, and they kind of know how to be humans, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when working with young humans, it's still new to them. Think about what might be missing in most athletic programs for high schools. What would something be that you think would be beneficial for somebody to make sure is a part of their kids' program? For high schools or uh, so post-puberty? I would say high school, that age group, right? Mm -hmm. So we're post-puberty, we're pre-college. Right. You know, we're not, especially for females, they get to college. If they're not in a sports program, they kind of have to figure out their own fitness routine, right? right? Mm -hmm. So what would be something really good to look for or make sure that your program has, whether you're into sports or not? Yeah, a few things that I do believe miss from a lot of, are missing from a lot of strength conditioning, high school strength conditioning programs. Um, Sled work in all directions. I mean, sled work's invaluable. It's harder when you have 40 kids in a weight room class. But uh, any way you can make that work, because that's free it's free gains for, for an adolescent uh, kid. So, because uh, it's, it's not going to overdo it. Yeah. Um, it's harder to overdo sled work unless it's too heavy. Mm. That's another lesson. You don't want to put too much volume, because that kid still isn't... He doesn't have years of volume training or uh, any, any, you know, his hormones still, he doesn't have as much testosterone as even like, you know, a college kid. Yeah. So you want to be weary of those things. Don't overdo it. Rhabdo is going to be more of a concern at that age. Um, Rhabdomyolysis. Um, What do you think? I, I mean, what are the biggest signs of overtraining for teenagers besides mental burnout? um, I guess injury. Uh, so actually, when I was at that basketball academy, um, power output can be a big, mm. um, a big one. An indicator of yeah, because that that tells you you're an alarm phase. Uh, that's part of the supercompensation cycle. When you stress a, a physiological system, overload it, you go into alarm phase, which that's where the performance starts to drop. And then when the performance starts to drop, that's when you let off the gas, and then they supercompensate. But if you don't let off the gas, it just keeps going down. So give me an example of how you tested that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So every time uh, the kids came in the weight room, every single day, they did three vertical jumps. And we recorded it uh. every single day. I'd have 30 kids at a time. Took a good amount of time, but it was worth it. Because as soon as I saw the trend of those those vertical jump numbers going decline. down. Decline. Let off the gas. And, it and that's how I kind of let, that's actually kind of how I led my cycles. Um, some cycles would end two and a half weeks end because totally. you have to let off the gas. Um, and some cycles would take five, six weeks to complete because they're still right. They're not, they're not declining. And what would be the amount, like the, obviously we want a little bit of decline to get some sort of response mm-hmm. if the pedals put off the gas, yep. how, like how many days would be too much, right? And this is probably the biggest flaw I see with adults two to two, three. Two to three. Yeah, and that's just kind of my own little rule. It's like something you have one real hard workout, even lower body workout, come in the next day and they're gonna jump lower, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so like two to three days in a row where they they don't bounce back, where it's like, okay, yeah, I see what's happening here, and it's uh, it most of the time it's most kids mm. um, at that age. It, but, they they're moving together. It's like a theme right. across the board. Yeah, at that age, it's most kids. You can, in, a, in adults, there's a varying of, there's such a variance of recoverable volume levels, you know, look at any power lifter versus even me, you know, they're going to be able to recover 
so much more. Um, so, and you know, even a clean powerlifter, just constant volume builds that over time. And so it just, it varies in adults, but yeah. as, as kids with less background and experience in the weight room, um, it's pretty close. Yeah. Do you ever get into heart rate variability? No, but I, I want to look at it. I just never had the tools. Same. I, We're, I'm struggling finding the right tools, so we can find that together. Yeah, I've I, heard of a couple. I have two, and then we were talking about it the downstairs. Like I literally had um, the discrepancy. The checkout page on one of them, like opened on my phone literally three days ago, and I was like, I'm going to ask around, see if anyone's done it. And someone yeah. said, it was one of the wrist ones, and they said, uh, it's just not consistently accurate on the wrist. It's got to be finger, yeah. or it's got to be heart. Like on your sh right, on your heart. so I so I decided not to do it. I know I'm in the I same. I want to find one that's good. Me too. <laughs> Let's <laughs> find one that's good. Yeah. Um, I've done a podcast on this, Doctor Mike T. Nelson. He was mm -hmm. great about it. So if you guys are listening and want to jump in on that, it's definitely a valuable tool for you. Basically, your body to tell you when your mind won't listen. Mm -hmm. Right. We're yeah. we're just so ready to push through things. Right. So moving to you know, obviously we have athletes there in college, whatever it is. But then kind of the sorry, can I say oh, yeah. just a couple more things uh, on, on what strength conditioning weight rooms could or yeah. high school oh yeah weight rooms could be doing better. Um, sled work, obviously in all in all directions, but more unilateral mm. work in different planes. There's so bilateral, which means either like you're supported on two hands or two feet. Right, so like a squat, or like a push-up, or a bench press, or a bent-over row. That's all bilateral, um, and it's all sagittal plane. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically up and down, forward to back. Um, do more things in the transverse plane, so rotational and frontal plane, which is lateral movement, um, but also uh, unilateral, would be, which would be on one leg um, or one arm. Mm -hmm. um, that is so powerful because sports are never it's hard to say bilateral. Well, yeah, they're never <laughs> bilateral and they're never uh, all sagittal plane. Yeah. Unless you're training CrossFit. powerlifters. Or, <laughs> yeah. Right. Unless you're playing power, training powerlifters or even an Olympic weightlifter has to do unilateral movement in a split jerk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so true. So um, just sagittal bilateral work at that age should actually be. Uh, a lesser part of the volume. Hmm. Most of your volume should be one leg at a time, different planes, lateral, you know, uh, rotational work. What are some of your favorite unilateral or rotational? Because I think that's something, especially if my audience is coming from CrossFit, mm -hmm. uh, that was my biggest pet peeve is just even thinking of some of those moves um, outside of single leg deadlifts or single arm Bench press, mm -hmm. uh, single arm bent over rows. Yeah, Sing and, and even those you could uh, don't have to be sagittal movements. Mm -hmm. uh, so like we know like rotational exercise is it mostly in the transverse plane. But if you do an anti-rotation exercise, it's working the same muscles in an isometric fashion. So it's still a sagittal or a transverse plane movement, a rotational exercise, uh, but isometrically. So it. So if you do a single arm bench press laying down, and you don't have weight in the other hand, other hand, your body has to anti-rotate because it has uh, a, an uneven load on it. So it has to isometrically contract the muscles that would rotate you uh, to keep you from rotating. Same thing with the bent over row. It's a great exercise um, with one dumbbell 
bend over, no hand on your knee, hand on nothing, and you try and stay symmetrical during the movement because it's anti-rotation. Mm. Perfect examples. Um, and, and then also, as far as lower body goes, I love lateral movement, lateral lunges. Uh, I love those glute ham roller lunges in the lateral fashion. Um, rotational even. Uh, put, a, put a kid with no weight in a single leg RDL, then tell him to open up all the way to the side uh, and see how he does with that. Mm. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> I'll try that later. <laughs> uh, what else about weight rooms that you'd like to see more for kids? Oh, uh, running. Running? Just running in, uh, in every way possible. Running uh, laterally, forward, back. Um, running laterally and then switching, you know, throughout the run, like switching direction of the way you're running. Or uh, running backwards and then turning around and running forwards or rotation that way or um, crossover runs where like you know maybe like karaoke but instead of putting the foot in back you just keep it in front and you and you cross your feet over as you run sideways we did that last week in mm -hmm. the program that you had and i loved it because we had the band partner bands around yes. us so yeah. that was great um all that stuff get get the kids moving in every fashion possible vary it widely so that they're not surprised when they see a movement mm. um you want you want to be pre prepared um, when they see a movement. You want to be them great. You want them to be great movers mm -hmm. before they get strong. Yeah. Because what is strength? How do you strengthen? You do movements weighted. Mm. Why would you want to move something with weight if you're not a good mover? Mover. Yep. So move well and then move with weight. And that's probably the biggest flaw that is in yeah. across the board. Yeah. And regardless age group. And it's guys that are probably um, a lot of guys are football coaches um and they want to coach high school football and they've worked out before so i know how to do a squat i can even teach a squat you know a bench press and a deadlift and a power clean mm -hmm. um but you know they're football coaches first and it's actually it's changing I'm, i i don't like to you know stereotype too much because yeah. yeah it is it moving. is changing high school strength conditioning is getting better for sure it's way better than what I had, it's actually funny though, because what I know now, when I look back on it, <laughs> like wow, my, I, my first, I switched high schools senior year, but my first strength conditioning coach really knew his stuff, which is pretty rare for st high school strength conditioning at that time. Mm. <laughs> he really, he really knew his stuff. I always say cracked the walnut in your cheeks when you, yeah. your glutes, that's actually from him. It's so <laughs> funny. George has transformed my squat slowly but surely. <laughs> um, I love. We'll actually we'll end with that. That would be a good way to end mm -hmm. when we get get to that. Um, okay, cool. So moving to my day to day, people coming to the gym, people mm -hmm. going to their gym. Maybe they have a background in athletics. Maybe they don't. Um, what are some kind of core outside of what we talked about, which probably you know, are kind of non-negotiables, like moving better before we add weight. Right. What are some good things to think about for the new person that's finally understanding that strength training isn't just for athletes, right. it's really to start see results? Yeah. What's interesting with our population is now you're getting into people who have full-time jobs and then are trying to improve themselves outside of that. Why that is so strange compared to what I'm used to with, with athletes is they, mo most of them are locked in one position for 40 hours a week. Mm. Most of the time that's sitting. And that's the worst scenario. And now you have this huge obstacle 
when trying to implement all these principles we already know about movement um, and overload and stress and all this uh, in recovery, that's a giant obstacle to overcome. Yeah. That that causes overuse injuries. It does because it's way easier to overuse something that doesn't work properly than it is to overuse something that does work properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so sitting, so hips, um, knees, uh, just like, you know, the whole hip flexor glute area. Yep. It just gets wrecked when you sit 40 hours a week. And then you try to fix it within an hour. Yeah, and posterior know. chain just gets decimated. Which is a huge piece. That's actually, uh, it was our YouTube, one of our videos was on YouTube this week for everybody to watch if you kind of want to see George in action. But the Get Strong programs, mm-hmm. the eight-day challenge that we did, it's just so key because the biggest thing that comes up over and over when you're getting strong is like these injuries are coming from not just movement patterns of your work and your lifestyle of sitting and shortening hip flexors and your glutes not being able to fire in the way that they need to when you're doing these types of moves that we love and want to do but it's like it is a properly executed program right and that's the the balance of the posterior chain so let's talk about that like how often should people be training posterior well for defining posterior chain yep and then how often should people be thinking about it right and uh, yeah, posterior chain is the linkage of muscles from your calf up to your trap, uh, in, even into your neck. Um, and the reason it's a chain is because it's all one, con- one continuous line of musculature. It's different muscle groups that do different actions, but they feed into each other. So when you have someone with lower back pain or uh, hip pain, it you have to address the entire posterior chain, uh, all the way up to the trap, all the way to the bottom of the calf. My example being my calf issue that keeps coming. Right. Because I got weak ass hamstrings. <laughs> yeah, I, that was crazy. I had um, a new client doing, I think, 33 pounds on the cable machine with a lying hamstring curl. And he said, I couldn't even do ten. the 10, which is the least weight you can put on the cable machine. Yep. And we had a light, a light bulb go off. And you work out all the time, and she hasn't worked out in years. Is that and crazy? Yeah. I mean, that is crazy. George is calling <laughs> me out right now. <laughs> but it was good. So if you guys aren't, um, if you don't know this, and maybe I haven't talked about it much, but I tore my soleus in Champs versus Stars, which was a challenge I did last year. It just, it, I had, was training for it, and then it got aggravated during the parkour, and then I just had to suck it up with all these trampoline jumping mm-hmm. I mean, it was like every challenge was calves. So I just irritated it. And what's funny is it gets better if I am consistent with calf raises, which I would love to talk about. (laughs) And then it gets worse if I forget calf raises and I do hamstrings because I do not use them correctly. Because I I put my toes are up all the time. Yeah. (laughs) You're never activating your calf when you squat. But this goes so well into what we're talking about with the general population. Mm -hmm. Uh, people who work 40 hours minimum a week. Um, not only are you dealing with an adult that's kind of overcompensated in some way at some point, um, now you're dealing with their tensions. Uh, the, the tension in each muscle in their body is way skewed off. Um, think about like the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It's a suspension bridge, right? It's holed up literally with tension and a, mm-hmm. a bunch of cables. Each of those cables has to have a certain amount of tension in it 
for it to stay up and not twist mm. or buckle. Um, now, an athlete that's 18 years old who's had a good childhood and hasn't really sat more than two hours a day, maybe, well, I guess in school, but they're still up and moving, uh, That it, that's way different. That's a good Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. you know? They yeah. haven't even had enough time to cause overcompensations, right? Yeah. <laughs> they have, and you see them, but, man, I've never seen it like training you know, 30-year-olds who've been working for eight, 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, sitting at a desk for four, eight, hour, eight hours a day, and their tension is way off. Mm. Um, and you see it a lot It in the glutes. Mm. And glute is like this big buzzword now. Like, it's so crazy. The answer is always glutes, but for someone who sits eight hours a day, it's hard to say it's not, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, there's not a lot of tension in the glutes when all you're doing is stretching it out all day and the opposing muscle group is shortened at the same time, the whole day. Um, one has way too much tension, way above average, and the other muscle group, the opposing, the, uh, the glute, has way uh, below average tension. Yeah. Um, and so trying to activate something where the opposer is wrenched tight really hard it's so hard and, and i i noticed i would get it to maybe after so many glute bridges and so many band walkings i could start to feel it it would mm -hmm. take time but in the movement would it activate and it right. wouldn't you know so it's more than just like i feel it and that's important mm -hmm. because that goes to show how weak it is mm -hmm. when you have a movement that activates say four or five different muscle groups um, the weakest muscle group is going to tap out first, obviously, right? But our, our bodies are such good compensators. Mm -hmm. So we're, our body will find a way to do the movement without that muscle group. And there's an all or none principle for the most part in, our, in most muscle groups in our body. It's a, actually a phenomenon. When we activate a muscle group, we activate every muscle fiber of it. Mm. Uh, or sorry, not every muscle fiber. Each muscle fiber activate. Uh, gets turned on fully, right? So when a muscle taps out, okay, this is above my threshold, it tends to fully give up mm. for the most part. So that's when we see uh, compensations. I, I've, you know, I have very hung, for, for the most part, especially compared to like my quads and stuff, I have strong hips, but my glute meds have kind of lagged behind in the past, and that's tied to my VMO. But like when I can do a perfect squat up to 300 pounds, but if I get up to the 400 pounds, man, my knees are going to want to come in. It's just something that's always happened. Mm -hmm. Well, why didn't, the ha why didn't that happen at 300 pounds? Because you had the threshold for it. Exactly. My glute meds are 300 pounds strong, but they're not 400 pounds strong. Hmm. But I can still squat 400 pounds. Everything else, the, the non-weakest links are 400 pounds strong. But you know why I have to compensate to make it happen? Yeah. And yeah. where do you feel that in your body? You feel start feeling it in your knees eventually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah which is something I've struggled with too. Yeah. Which I actually think is foot-related, but as well as hip-related. Um, why do you love calf raises so much? It's such an <laughs> underutilized muscle. <laughs> I love it. I, I want mean, everyone to stop what you're doing and do calf raises. George has, George has got our gym on calf raises, and I love it. It's it, underutilized. It's, yeah. It's the thing that makes our footwork. What, mm. what, do we, what, do you, what happens when you walk? Your ankle moves in all directions, mm -hmm. right, depending on – if you're on a if you're on unstable ground, it's definitely going to move side to side. It's mm -hmm. going to move forward and back. 
Um, and we didn't evolve walking on pavement, right? We evolved walking on unstable surfaces. That's why we have all that range of motion in our, in our ankle. There's uh, one of the, the most prominent muscle group that moves that ankle around is the, the front of the lower leg, the back of the lower leg. Those are our calves. Our calves, and then obviously the dorsiflexors, flexors, anterior tib, fibularis longus, and, and those. Um, but the calves and the ant tib, fibularis longus, those three muscles are so important. Um, but we underutilize them. One, we're off our feet for eight hours a day minimum. Mm -hmm. Most of us that, you know, that work those jobs. And even if you don't, I find myself sitting down all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, and then the muscles in our feet are underactive as well because we're just not using our feet. And you do think that's connected to your knee? I do. I would yeah. love to know your theory. Um, I haven't heard this yet. Well, your feet affect the way you walk, mm -hmm. affect the way you stand. I have extremely high arches. Yep. Um, and I've even been told by someone who thinks uh, custom orthotics are bullshit, like, you might need custom orthotics. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're that high, huh? Yeah, it's very high arches. And um, so when that happens, I or when I stand for long periods of time, I feel like the ball of my foot and the heel of my foot are getting uh, beaten with hammers because it's like I'm not actually contenting every point of the foot on the yeah, ground. I'm literally contenting like, yeah, oh well, there we go. <laughs> I'm st I don't. It's not a hole, but it wants to be, right? It it's like kind of yeah. translucent right there on the ball of the That's foot. Funny, <laughs> but it's like I don't uh, transfer the the weight across my entire foot. Mm -hmm. And actually, as I was as I was uh, as I grew up. I would love literally like on the outside of my foot, like uh, totally supinated. I would stand on the outsides of my feet for hours. Wow. It felt actually felt good. Like I don't, I know a lot of you can't see this right now, but my foot, it's, it looks like I just rolled my ankle. That's how far out my foot is. <laughs> and I would stand like that for forever. And so even into my adult life, like my big toe and in the inside the ball of my foot wouldn't even touch the ground when I was mm. standing. It was like floating. And that, that, that makes sense as far as your activation for your VMO. Yeah, well, so I'm overloading the, my lateral line, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I've actually corrected the way I stand, but it was trial and error because if you correct something in your foot too much, you use it so much, if you make too big of a correction, you're going to be dealing with a lot of pain. Yeah. It's going to change a lot because you do so much of it. So uh, now it's like a constant, you know, afterthought when I'm, uh, when I'm not afterthought, but just constant thought, my uh, low-level thought in my head. When I'm standing press my big toe down lightly. Mm. So it keeps me centered on my foot actually. And that made, that did make my knee feel a lot better. Um, That's been huge for me because of, you know, even if you guys, if you've seen me squat, my toes go up, right? And this is a habit that I've learned through the training that I was taught, right? So it's just mm -hmm. repetitive, repetitive, right. repetitive, trying to keep people from having knee issues by keeping them hips back, hips mm -hmm. back, you know, yeah. keep your chest up and in turn I would just and naturally my feet do this anyway my toes would go up yep. and so my biggest focus is also with my big toe and that's on straight legged deadlifts that's on deadlifts yep. that's on squats it is the hardest thing in the right. world so what's so powerful about that is you have to understand muscle synergy um, uh, put your hand act like your right arm is going to do a bicep curl Use your left hand as the weight. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want you to relax your forearm. 
keep like mushy, like mushy forearm Michael muscles, Flip, right? Michael Phelps mushy. Yes, Michael cool. Phelps mushy. Okay, <laughs> then try and push up on your hand. Okay, now push up as hard as you can. Now I want you to grab your hand and activate all your forearm muscles. Now pull up as hard as you can. Hmm. You can probably resist yourself, but you can feel you're able to actually fully activate. Yep. Right. Um, the muscles in your forearms are synergist for your bicep. Muscle synergy is the activation of one muscle to increase the activation of another muscle. Mm. Um, so your calves are synergists for your hamstrings. Mm. Your synergists, your your hamstrings are synergists for your glutes. Your your ha your glutes are synergists for your sorry your back is actually synergist for your glutes, or your lower back, your QL, your erectors, and uh, and that's how our body works. Our rectus femoris is a synergist for the hip flexor. Yeah. Um, our ant tib, and this is actually what I think is up with my my, my foot and my knee situation. Your ant tib is a synergist for your vastus lateralis. Mm. Like try and pull your, try and put your finger on the front of your shin, just that, just lateral of your shin. Try pull your toes back and try and activate that without activating your lateralis just outside <laughs> your knee, that <laughs> quad, hard, that yeah. outer quad, right? Yeah. And so now if, if my foot can't relax, it, it's hard to. My, my calves are pretty tight and gunked up too. It's if if your foot can relax, then it's hard to say because again, your plantar fascia is synergist free soleus. Mm. Um, it's hard to say that your calf and your ant tib are, are relaxing if your foot can't. If if I'm literally, you know, supinated all day, standing on two points <laughs> on my <laughs> yeah. foot, yeah, then then <laughs> there's no way that foot's relaxing, and I've actually. Started dabbling in some orthotics, not custom yet, but I'm just doing my own little research. But um, <laughs> and, and it's actually helped. But uh, if your foot can't relax, then your your lower leg can't relax. And if that ant tib is feeding in to my vastus lateralis, uh, you know the patella tracking issue that I have, then why wouldn't it start on my foot? Mm. And and um, it's not conclusive, but it's just a theory. And uh, the research it. is going well, people. I love it. <laughs> um, let's finish with talking yeah. about, okay, we want, and this has been so fun for me with this gym. Mm -hmm. I have a really hard time gaining mass in my arms, and mm -hmm. it's because I just wasn't doing enough reps. Right. So certain body parts take a lot more reps, and I would love yes. to know, let's finish with saying, if I want to get jacked for summer, yes. sleeveless shirt time, it is happening. Um, I feel like this is the first time in my life I've been able to get the shoulders and delts that I want, right? right? It mm -hmm. But it, it took a lot of effort, but it also, now that I'm getting there, it's not a lot of effort to maintain, yeah. which is so cool. So what yes. would you say are that like, is, <laughs> is that funny. so fun? Well, those muscles, your delts, your biceps, your triceps, uh, they have a very low uh, maintenance volume, which is the amount of volume it takes to maintain the mass because they do so much. Mm. They're always working. Yep. Especially if you're even benching or been over rowing or any any pulling pushing exercises, they're definitely working during that. Um, so, but even just day to day life, yeah, uh, your those muscles are working. So they, one, that's why it's such a low maintenance volume, but that's also why they have such a recover high recoverable volume, the the maximum amount of volume they're able to recover from, um, because they're used to the volume, mm. even just. You know, talking here through my gestures, I've used my arms out of more out of any other body part. Just yeah. sitting here talking to you, they're moving around, they're working, they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so they have high recoverable volume and low maintenance volume. 
that's both good news and bad news because uh, bad news is most likely they're not doing enough. Mm. Uh, but there's so many different ways to increase volume. Uh, reps, sets. Um, yeah, I went from three sets to four. Yep. And that was like, God, it was like. And you went up 25%, well, 30% yeah. volume, yeah. right? Um, and so reps, sets, frequency. So how many days a week you actually train them. Mm -hmm. um, Two times. And I should, actually, do three. Yep. <laughs> I so, should do three. So it's suggested like three to five times for delts, three to, fi okay. three to five times a week for delts, three to five times uh, a week for biceps. Okay. And, and triceps, depending on how you train them, are a little more, uh, they're a little more acceptable or accept, they accept Two, volume maybe a little, a little bit better. Ah, they okay. absorb that volume a little bit better. Whereas del delts and biceps are kind of resistant to growth <laughs> to growth yeah. yeah so um yeah so like maybe two to four two to five for triceps three uh, days a week three to five days a week for biceps three to five days a week for and you would do delts. varying exercises yes opposite days mm -hmm. cool so like definitely we're not doing pull-ups every day we're not doing bicep curls exactly every day. right cool yeah no and you got to take that into account am i doing a ton of pull-ups then you might be working the those biceps more than you think you are um by doing a ton of bench press, and you're definitely working those the delts and the triceps more than you than you would mm -hmm. think you are, just not in an isolated fashion. Um, but they're also they they sent they desensitize the volume really easily as well. So it's good to phase it in and phase it out. So a hard month of really hitting those biceps, triceps, delts, and um, uh, sorry, hard month of biceps, triceps, and delts. Uh, and then kind of phase it out for a month. Mm. Allow them did. to resensitize. We did a challenge originally, a mm -hmm. uh, hundred. Yep. What did we call that? Fill the sleeves. Fill the sleeves. The so fill the sleeves November. The yeah. Campaign. So if you guys want to kind of up your game, but it was true. It was like when you're mentally kind of over it, mm -hmm. your body probably needs to be over it. Yeah. As well, right? It's yeah, like, okay, cool. I did a month and now I can take some time off and then. And they'll resensitize. But again, the maintenance volume is so low, you don't really even have to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then you'll, when you go to do it again two or so months later, they're still where they were, but mm -hmm. now they're going to be more, uh, they're going to be more sensitive to growth. Fill the sleeves. How did Fill I the forget? Sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Is there anything else? Um, I mean, George. I talked about your intro again, but it, he does personal programming in Denver and not in Denver. So if you guys are interested in working with him, please go look at the link right below and contact him. Instagram, uh, I'll send you, I'll connect you guys in whatever way I need to. I, he's just, you've done my programming for two months. It's been so fun to try new things and see the changes. I mean, it's like, I love it. I love the way you work and, um, what you bring to the platform. Is there anything else you want to address or talk about that we missed? We dabbled in a, quite a quite a plethora of things. I feel yeah. good about this. There's some rabbit holes. <laughs> it's not a good podcast without a couple rabbit holes. They're, they're, that's a podcast, right? But I think we left we left a good amount of material for another podcast. I think we did. I think I think there's we could talk for another four hours. Probably. I know. So let's. Um, this is perfect. If you guys could leave your comments on the podcast, uh, if you have questions, email them in. We're always available at support at emilystrom.com. We could always do a part two, but make sure 
we are doing it for you. So send in your questions and we'll make sure we get them answered. And then please go listen to the YouTube video that George and I did that's linked below. That was the YouTube I launched on Monday, which is a new YouTube every week. And it's perfect because we're just having a week of George here, <laughs> a week of getting strong. Looks like it. <laughs> yes. Um, and your, your Instagram, just in case they're listening and driving and can't see, GM Bristow. 91. 91. Yep. I couldn't remember the number. Perfect. Anything else where they can find you? Um, that's probably the place to go. Yeah, Instagram. Um, that's pretty much it. Cool. <laughs> I, I keep it simple. I love it. <laughs> I'm not a big Twitter guy. Or, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, any other quotes or strength thing? What's your favorite quote? Let's finish with that. I think I'm going to revisit um, the one I said earlier. How do you know you're not doing too much until you've done too little? I think it's important to chase that 1% gain and not the 10% gain. You can do 1% 10 times much better than you, much easier than you can do 10% one time. Hmm. So don't get greedy. Wise <laughs> words with George. Thank you, George. I loved having you on. Thank we'll have you. you back on soon.